My name is John Cullen, and I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and curling. It's the story of Broomgate, how a single broom, yes, a broom, turned friends into foes and almost killed the 500-year-old sport of curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate, available now. You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production. If there's one lesson that the past decade has taught us, it's that misinformation works. Maybe the experts already knew that, but studies are not the same thing as living the evidence. You probably know, for instance, with both your heart and your head, that this is bullshit. If you count the legal votes, I easily win. If you count the illegal votes, they can try to steal the election from us. But if you repeat a lie enough times to enough people, you still end up with this. To protect the Constitution of the United States against enemies foreign and domestic! But this isn't a story about gullible Trump supporters. This is a story about the people who should know better. In fact, it's a story about the people who said they knew better and promised to do better. The president bears responsibility for Wednesday's attack on Congress by mob rioters. He should have immediately denounced the mob when he saw what was unfolding. The mob was fed lies. They were provoked by the president and other powerful people. And they tried to use fear and violence to stop a specific proceeding of the first branch of the federal government. Those are the leaders of the Republican Party in the U.S. House and U.S. Senate, admitting that former President Donald Trump's lies had deadly consequences for both people and potentially for democracy. And here they are, a few days later. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy he met with the former president at his Florida resort yesterday. United and ready to win in 22, McCarthy tweeted after the meeting. If the president was the party's nominee, would you support him? Uh, the nominee of the party? Absolutely. It's not Donald Trump's supporters who are putting the future of American democracy in jeopardy, though it sure seems that they'd like to do that. But it's the Republican Party itself doing their dirty work. Once Trump left office and Joe Biden was sworn in, people in the USA and here in Canada and around the world, really, hoped that the madness that had gripped America had passed. But it hadn't. And now, the U.S. is closer than ever to becoming a nation of disputed elections, of political violence, and eventually of authoritarian rule. So what's still standing in the way of that? And who needs to step up to help? Jordan Heath-Rawlings, this is The Big Story. Pete Weiner is a contributing writer at The Atlantic and a senior fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center. Notable for today's discussion, he's worked in three Republican presidential administrations, prior, of course, 
to the Trump administration. Hi, Pete. Hey, how are you, Jordan? Nice to be with you. I'm doing well. Thank you for taking the time to sort of update our Canadian audience up here on how the grand democracy experiment is going down in the United States. I say this only uh, partially in jest, but I think a lot of our listeners have probably hoped they could tune out after Trump left office. And so everything's fine, right? <laughs> well, they're finer than they were, but they're not fine. Uh, it, it, it helps to have gotten rid of a sociopath who was president. Um, but the radiating effects of Trump and Trumpism and MAGA world, as they say, make America great again world is um, is still there. And I think the Republican Party is still in the grips of conspiracy theories and lies. And that's uh, that's a problem. Does it surprise you that they are, given that uh Trump was defeated pretty soundly, and Biden's been in office now for a few months? Not entirely. Um, the reason it doesn't is several fold. Um, the first is that the Republican Party in 2020 actually didn't do that badly. I, I wish it had been defeated more soundly, in part because I think it would have helped um, accelerate the reformation of the Republican Party that I think has to take place. But they won a dozen House seats. Uh, they won. Uh, they gained one governorship. They gained in the state legislative races. They did, of course, lose the presidency, and that's significant. And the and the Senate is a is a fifty fifty split. But it was not anything like a uh, a wipeout. So the Republicans have made the decision, made the calculation that uh, to break with Trump and Trumpism uh, would be politically damaging to them because they really can't win over the people they've lost, at least in the short term. And if they were to turn, uh, against Trump, um, that would fracture the base, uh, which goes really to the, to the deeper question here, the deeper issue, which is this is a Trumpified party through and through, um, Republican lawmakers who have kowtowed to Trump, who have been obsequious to him. Uh, aren't doing it necessarily because they agree with him or in their private moments uh, would like to do that. They're doing it because uh, they are afraid of the, the, the Republican base. And if Trump, uh, you know, sicks the base on a particular lawmaker, they'll do it. Um, so that really goes to, to, I think, the more fundamental problem, which is that the core of the Republican Party, not its entirety, but I think its core has been Trumpified. And that's what happens, by the way, when, when you um, spend five years um, being on the receiving end and, and imbibing um, lies and conspiracy theories. I think several of my friends who are, I think, responsible Republicans thought that after Trump would leave, there'd be a quick snapback of the party, that we'd go back to where it was. That wasn't going to happen because if you have half a decade of these lies and conspiracy theories, it reshapes. And in my estimation, corrupts the moral sensibilities of the people who imbibe them, and that's really what's what's happening uh, right right uh, right now. So it's it's not a shock to me that uh, that Trumpism lives even as uh, Donald Trump himself recedes. It's interesting that you mention that the parties become super Trumpified and that they didn't snap back because this might be kind of the last moment in between the insurrection on January sixth and Biden taking office that I think a lot of Canadians were paying really close attention to what was going on in American politics. And at that time, you know, it seemed like elected Republicans, you know, Mitch McConnell, uh, Kevin McCarthy, a number of fairly prominent Republicans were actually condemning Trump. And it, it kind of looked like they were snapping out of it, but then that hasn't stuck. Why is that? 
Well, that's right. And and McConnell and and uh, McCarthy were not the only ones. Nikki Haley, who served in the Trump administration, did the same thing. She was critical of Trump. I, I think the reason that it didn't stick is because they don't have backbone and they became fearful. I do think they had an accurate reading of the base of the party. They thought that the insurrection, Trump's role in the insurrection, in the effort to, to uh, uh, commit a coup against the United States, I mean, that's really what was going on here. They were trying to overthrow a free and fair election. They thought that that would be a bridge too far for Trump supporters, hmm. um, but it wasn't. Right. Um, it turned out the base of the Republican Party internalized Trump's lies uh, by a very strong majority. Some 75 percent think that Trump is a le- legitimate president, that the election was stolen from him. And um, the claims that the election were rigged are are true. Um, I mean, that's just a huge number of 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 people yeah. with him and if they were going to criticize trump then the base was going to turn on them and they don't have the courage or the backbone to stand up to him they've shown that for for half a decade um they fell in line once again and now they're they're continuing to to uh, promulgate his his lies and conspiracy theories um so this is a matter of just raw political power and what they asked their estimation of, of what it takes to uh gain power and to keep power um, the fact that this is doing grave harm to the country and to the American experiment and the democratic project in this country seems not to bother them much at all, which is, which is a real indictment of them in terms of their integrity and their morality. Um, but but that's, that's where we are. Let's maybe talk about the damage that all this is doing to the democracy, you know, leaving aside um, whatever you might think of the political leaders themselves or Donald Trump as a politician or even a person, um, when this becomes, the unthinkable becomes thinkable over the last little while, what happens to American democracy? Like looking from afar, it seems like you guys are on a real edge of a cliff. Well, we're certainly edging up to it. We're certainly edging up to it because these lies that Trumpers are are telling are not just quote unquote any lies. I mean, they're lies that are daggers at the heart of democracy because what they're doing is that they're eroding trust in our elections. Democracies are in our country, in your country, and other countries uh, depend on on compacts. Sometimes they're unwritten compacts, and. One of them is this idea that you respect the outcome of elections and there's the peaceful transfer of power. So when your side loses, the other side wins, that you hand power over uh, and know that you'll get another day to, to, to fight for your cause and that, you, and that you might win. But when you get one side that says no, that the basic mindset is that we have to win and if we don't win, it means the election was rigged and we're not going to abide by that. Um, that's very, very dangerous stuff. Uh, and it, it also creates the conditions for political violence, which we saw on January 6th. And we may see again, because the mindset of the people who are committing the acts of violence, the people who were engaged in the insurrection on January 6th, is we are victims of, 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 of an epic historical crime uh, in the arena of democracy, that this election was stolen from us, that our will was thwarted, and that the people who stole this election from us, the progressives, the Democrats, want to destroy our country, they want to destroy us, they want to destroy our children. So we're engaged in an existential struggle, and and they cheated, and they won the election. 
and we're not going to tolerate it. We would prefer not to use violence, but if violence is necessary, we'll, we'll, we'll use it in the spirit of the, of the American founding and the American Revolution. Now, that's a dangerous and absurd and moronic approach, but that's what they <laughs> believe. And those are the links in the chain of their, um, of their logic, or so-called um, logic. So this is really serious stuff. Now, again, Joe Biden is president, not Donald Trump. And that's that's a big step in the right direction, even if if you have policy disagreements with Joe Biden, which which I do to some degree. But we're talking about more fundamental things, which is the threat to 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 democracy. So, look, the American institutions held up in 2020. I mean, we had an American president who tried to steal the election. It didn't didn't work. And it didn't work in part because of the genius of, of Madison and the founders, which is separation of powers, checks and balances. And in particular, the courts held up. So we did get the, the, the transfer of power. But my concern is that um, the mindset hasn't changed in, in, in Trump world. In fact, it's gotten worse and that they may well be setting the stage in 2022 and 2024 uh, for not handing over power if they uh, lose. So I, I hope we don't get there. We may not get there, but it's, it's a real danger. And sometimes the, the uh, membrane between civilization and barbarism or democracy and authoritarianism is thinner than a lot of people think. Um, and it's up to each generation who inherits freedom to, to, uh, to keep it and to pass it on. And we're not doing a very good job of that right now. The Big Story will be back in just a minute. My name is John Cullen, and I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and curling. It's the story of Broomgate, how a single broom, yes, a broom, turned friends into foes and almost killed the 500-year-old sport of curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate, available now. How did it get this way? You know, you mentioned five years of lies and conspiracy theories, and I think that much is obvious. But the kind of profound stuff we're seeing from the Republican Party these days, it doesn't seem like it could come to pass in only five years. I mean, again, as you mentioned, as we mentioned off the top, you've worked in three Republican administrations. How did we get to where we are now from— the republicanism of you know George H W Bush. Yeah, that's a great question, and I think you're right. It's it's not correct to see Donald Trump as pairing uh, ex nihilo out of nothing. Um, he the situation was such that it gave the conditions gave rise to Donald Trump. He sees the moment. He turns out to be, be a, something of a brilliant demagogue. Um, but uh, he ran in 2016 against a field of 16 very accomplished Republicans. Right. And Republicans of sort of any flavor of ice cream you wanted, whether you were a libertarian or a cultural conservative or a reform conservative, if you like governors or members of Congress or former members of Congress. And yet the Republican Party chose Donald Trump, who had no history really with the Republican Party, who had supported some very liberal policy proposals over the course of his life, and was by no stretch of the imagination a conservative, and certainly for evangelical Christians who make up the core of the Republican Party, the base of the Republican Party, and during the Clinton years and after, 
kept arguing about how important moral character was for political leaders, for all of those people to turn around and, and support Trump, or many of them, enough of them that the race really wasn't close. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he, he won early races and never really looked, looked back. So it's, it's the right question, mm-hmm. which is, what on earth happened that allowed someone like him to gain power in the Republican Party? It's a complicated story. I'd say there were several things that happened. There were currents and movements within the Republican Party uh, that gave rise to, to, to a figure like Donald Trump. It became increasingly anti-intellectual anti-science. It was a party that was, the base was often, <coughs> excuse me, roiled by resentments and grievances um, at the elite culture. There was fear um, about the, 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 the changing demographics in the country um, and the cultural changes, which were happening, some at remarkable pace, particularly in the realm of, of human sexuality. Um, and so there was this combination of resentments and grievances, existential fear, then on top of that, you had the advent of social media. You had a, a shift in, in, in right-wing talk radio, which shifted from liberal conservative to establishment, anti-establishment, elite, anti-elite. So it became a populist movement. It moved from being a, a, a sort of Burkean uh, conservative party um, to, to an to a angry populist party. And we see this all around the, the world uh, including in, in, in Europe, these populist right-wing movements that, that arise up and in some cases gain power. That, I think, is what was happening to the Republican Party. People who weren't paying attention really weren't, didn't notice it as much as, as they should have. And so that, those were the conditions. And then Donald Trump came along and the, the, the man met the moment in, in its own um, corrupt way. And then, of course, you went from winning the Republican nomination to winning the presidency so it would have been bad enough to have Trump as as the nominee of the party, but of course, once he became president, uh, he he was bound to reshape the Republican Party and cement his own outlooks, uh, his own pathologies uh, into the into the party. There was a belief early on among responsible Republicans who thought, okay, well, if Trump's president, you know, we own Congress, M- McConnell, Paul Ryan, and others will change him, and the reality is they didn't change him. Uh, He changed them and he changed the party. And we're still in that moment. Since the November election, and this is something you wrote about in your piece for The Atlantic, I think a lot of people expected the conspiracy theories to at least slow down, if not die off. Um, And you wrote about people being more Q-curious than ever, which is, I believe, a term you you got from speaking to Sarah Longwell. What does that mean? and, And why has QAnon in particular, I guess, but really all the sort of vague fringes of the conspiracy element of the party, how has it managed to take over the mainstream after uh, being defeated at the polls? Yeah, I'll take them in in, in reverse order. Uh, why, why did it take over after having been defeated in the polls? Well, as I said, unfortunately, it wasn't as defeated as soundly as I wish it had been at the polls. Right. Uh, you know, Kevin McCarthy looks at this situation and he says, you know, with Trump at the top of the ticket, we, we gained a dozen House seats in 2020. Um, I'm now easily within striking distance of becoming Speaker of the House. <clears throat> the odds are very much with me because in American politics, uh, the party of the president in the first term elections normally does 
quite well. Mm-hmm. Um, so the so so the chances are very high or high enough, better than even, that McCarthy will become speaker. So they don't think that staying with Trump um, is is a losing proposition in the short term for them, and they may be right, unfortunately. Now, what does it mean to stay with Trump? Well, what it means centrally now is to stay with Trump's conspiracy theories because that's what's most definitional to him and to now to his movement, which is that the election was was uh, was stolen. That is why they they the Republican Party have not given up on on Trump uh, and why the conspiracy theories have have salience. I think the thing to understand is that two things are happening at once. Donald Trump is losing, to some extent, his grip on the Republican Party, which is inevitable. I mean, he's no longer president. He's not on social media. Right. And he's 75, uh, and he may well be indicted, um, although the indictment itself would be viewed as a steep, deep state indictment. Of course. But in any event, his, his, we see from the polls that his power is receding in the Republican Party. That's a good thing. But the bad thing, and I think the, the worst thing, net-net, is that... Um, the conspiracy theories and the lies, the things that are central to, to Trumpism, now exist apart from him. Um, and they have taken on a life of, of, of its own. In that sense, it's not like a cult of personality in which if the cult leader were, 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 were to leave the scene, the cult itself would die. That's not what's happening. You now have many Trumps taking up these conspiracy theories and, and championing them. It is now, these conspiracy theories and lies are now becoming central to the identity of the Republican Party in 2021. And we'll see how long that, that lasts. But what, is it, what does it mean? Well, it means ba- bad stuff because we have a major political party, one of the two major political parties in, in America, not a rational actor in American politics anymore. I mean, whatever you thought of, you know, Dwight Eisenhower and Richard Nixon and George W. Bush and George and Ronald Reagan and, and, and George H. W. Bush, they were serious actors in the American stage. The, the historian John Meacham has made, made this point elegantly. Um, that's not where the Republican Party is anymore. And beyond that, and what I think is one of the major threats to this country this, this decade, maybe the major threat to, the, to this country this decade, is our epistemic crisis, this, this crisis of truth. Yeah. Because what you have now are people who are inhabiting uh, a world detached from reality. It's its, its own epistemic world. Um, and when that happens in a, in a, in a free country, you, you just can't have compromise, you can't have conversation, you can't have dialogue, because people have wandered off into a, into a world of make-believe. Um, and how to, how to overcome that is really tricky and, and difficult, and it won't happen all at all at once. But that's that's the challenge I would say this country faces. As I said, I think Europe faces to some extent some of this, but in a different in a different way. And this is certainly different than anything this this nation has, has faced. The last thing I'll say just very quickly is I think that social media has played a huge role in this. Conspiracy theories have always existed in every country. It's existed in this country. That's not new. It's part of human human nature. I do think what's what's different now is is social media and the capacity for conspiracy theorists to get their conspiracies out and about, the ability to link to uh, fake news reports and false studies, the capacity to organize like the January 6th insurrection. I mean, all of those things that didn't exist pre-social media are now um, able to be done because of social media. So that's complicated things even more.
The last thing I want to ask you about, and you know, you painted a pretty grim picture of how we got here, is how can America move forward? And I'm, I'm going to ask you because you wrote a book that came out about this time last year called The Death of Politics, How to Heal Our Frayed Republic After Trump. I have not read this book. I am going to guess that it hasn't gone so well since you wrote it uh, in terms of what needed to happen to start that healing. But you must see a way if you wrote this book. Yeah, I, I, I do. I mean, the first thing I'd say is that the you know the American capacities for self renewal is, is one of, one of the wonders of, of 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 history, and we faced very very difficult periods in, in this country before us. Just as a context setter, I mean, if you go back to the election of eighteen hundred between Jefferson and Adams, it was a brutal affair, and if you if you go back even to the news media that was that was uh, characteristic of that time I and mean, it was it was worse than it is now there were just different propaganda outlets the election was brutal it almost tore apart the, the you know the young republic at that time you had the civil war and uh, and and then segregation and the battles with the south you had the late 60s where the really deep divisions in this country about the vietnam war the generation gap so-called generation gap sexual revolution you had kent state in which students were were shot uh, you had march on the pentagon then in the early 70s you had watergate so we've had difficult periods before and that's just important sometimes it's easy to romanticize the past and pretend that the situation you face is unprecedented that's one thing. Second thing is that Joe Biden did win. I mean, he got 15 million more votes than, than Hillary Clinton. And there is something that, that scholars have referred to as an exhausted majority in this nation that really did rise up and, um, and took a stand mm -hmm. at least against, uh, against Trump. And it makes a huge difference, as I said earlier, that you don't have a president who's a sociopath um, and that you don't have a president who's constantly sort of picking at the wounds of this, of this country and pouring kerosene and gasoline on on these 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 fires so that that can uh, can help too beyond that what what has to happen well i i do think that having conservative leaders uh writers but particularly elected officials like liz cheney speak out even though they're, they're pretty isolated voices right now can make a difference we know that from social science research I do think that the social media platforms are in a better place now than they were five years ago. I think that it was a kind of Wild West show before then, and now, as we've clearly, clearly seen, their efforts, their halting efforts, but their efforts to try and get control of this thing because they understand that the damage that can that can be done. So I think there there are some reasons to to uh, to build on that. You know, there are different programs that I think um, can help, like voluntary national service, because I think the polarization in this country, which is so deep creates the conditions for, for these conspiracy theories. And so one has to think about, look, how, how can we create conditions in which people who are uh, facing each other across the political divide can communicate to each other and actually have relationships with, with each other? Uh, but ultimately, you know, democracy is a do-it-yourself enterprise. And there's really no shortcut to it. I mean, if, if enough people understand the nature of the problem, and in their individual lives, their daily lives, their communal lives, uh, stand up and say, look, we have to reward, we have to incentivize um, the right things, the moral good, the common good. Um, that'll happen. And if they don't do that, it won't happen. It's a little bit, I suppose, like saying, you know, if you're 35 pounds overweight, and you say, look, I, I really want to uh, get in shape, and I want to lose weight. And, uh, 
and somebody tells you how, which is you have to exercise more and, 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 and eat more responsibly. And the person says, well, I don't want to do those things. I don't want to exercise more and I don't want to eat responsibly, but I'd still like right. to lose weight. Could you tell me how to do it? And the answer is, well, there's really not a way to do it. You have to do what you have to do. And this country has to do what it has to do. You're not going to get 100% of people to do anything in this nation, but you need enough of a, of a movement to rise up. And, um, and sometimes viruses create their own antibodies, uh, both medically, but also in terms of our, our civic culture. And sometimes when a, when a nation, just like in an individual life, there's certain virtues, certain qualities that you take for granted, honesty, integrity, um, decency, compassion, you take them for granted, but when they're stripped away from you, either on an individual level or, or uh, at a national level, uh, then, then you begin to understand why those things really mattered to begin with and why they're worth preserving and defending. And to some extent, I think we're seeing what, what life, you know, nasty, brutish, and short can look like if those things are stripped away. So now the task is to summon enough people to defend something that's very sacred. And, um, and, and I have confidence it will do it, but I don't pretend that it's going to be going to be easy. Um, this is a wounded nation, uh, but it's a nation that I think can heal. Pete, thank you so much uh, for your views on this and your insights. It's been great being with you. Thanks for having me. Pete Weiner of The Atlantic and the Ethics and Public Policy Center. That was The Big Story. You can find all of our episodes at thebigstorypodcast.ca. You can talk to us with congrats or complaints on Twitter at thebigstoryfpn. You can email us, as some of you do, with more detail on the stories you'd like covered by sending a note to the Big Story Podcast, all one word, at rci.rogers.com. We will read them. We take feedback. Sometimes we even act on it. Of course, you can follow us or subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice. Make sure you leave a rating and a review if it lets you. Make sure you tell your friends in real life if it doesn't. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow.